Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You see, the idea behind the word long-suffering means that God is slow to anger. God is slow to anger. That's so much different than people. Some people are just waiting to give you a piece of their mind. Aren't they? You know what I tell you. They gave away so many pieces, they're kind of crazy. They're giving away too many pieces. I'll give you a piece of my mind. You might want to hold on to a minute. You're already kind of crazy. Some people are just like that. They're just ready to give you a piece of their mind. I'm going to give you a piece of mind. I'm going to tell you what i got to say. That's not like God. And you're being most unlike God when you're quick to anger. Don't misunderstand me. There's a place for righteous indignation. There's a place for anger. I really believe that. But we should never be quick to anger. You know, get a hold of the anger problem. Go to anger management or something. We shouldn't be quick. Go to your pastor. Go to church. Not this. We shouldn't be quick to anger. Slow to anger. Because God is slow to anger. That means he is long-suffering. Not only is he long-suffering, but notice he's abounding in goodness. Are you looking at it? Abounding, abounding in goodness and truth. Not just enough goodness and truth, but he has plenty He's abounding. He's stacking it in the streets looking for people to give it to. Abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God is a forgiving God. Saints, I've got to point something out to you in verse 8. Notice, so Moses made haste and he bowed his head toward the earth. Are you looking at verse 8? And he worshipped. He worshipped. You know, Moses experienced an awesome, powerful presence of God, I think, for two reasons. Number one, because verse 8 tells us that God, when God told him what to do, he made haste to do it. Are you listening? He made haste to do it. He didn't delay. He did it quickly. He experienced a power in the presence of God. You know, I believe in all of my years of walking with God, I believe that obedience is relative to closeness. Did you get that? Obedience is relative to closeness. Again, obviously Moses didn't sleep that much that night. He got ready to do what God has called him to do. He was obedient. And because Moses was obedient, obedience is relative to closeness. You want to be close to God, you've got to do what God tells you to do. 
Jesus said it like this in John 14, 21. He said, he who has my commandment and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you love God, then you keep his commandments. If you love God, then you do what he tells you to do. If you love God, then you're obedient to God. And we can't say we love God if we don't obey God. Our obedience is the indicator to God that we really do love him. Not because we say it. Not because we go to church. Not because we come and sing songs. Not because we demonstrate acts of benevolence to the church and to people and to our family and our friends and our neighbors. Not because of that. But when you obey and do what he tells you to do, then you are showing God that you love him. Obedience is relative to closeness, number one. That's why I believe that Moses experienced the power and the presence of God. And then secondly, I believe Moses experienced the power and the presence of God because he was humble. Look at verse 9. He realized in verse 9, let me make sure I'm right. Yeah, verse 9. He realized that we're all sinners, that we're all in the same boat. Did you get that? Moses said, Lord, look at verse 9. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. Moses said, Lord... Pardon, the last part of verse 9, our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses, look, the people were, you read the story, the people were the ones worshiping the calf, not him. But I think that Moses identifies with the people and he was humble and he says, Lord, forgive us, forgive me, pardon our sins because Moses is probably reaching way back to Exodus 2, where he killed the Egyptian. And that tells us, listen, be careful who you're pointing your finger at somebody else, because it's sin in your own life. It may just look different, but it's sin. Who's righteous in here? Raise your hand if you're righteous. See? None of us are. We all have sin. And how dare we be harsh on one another? How dare we point fingers at one another? Because your sin looks different or you have deemed that that sin is worse than that sin. God doesn't even do that. If you transgress against God, you've broken one law, you broke them all, baby. Be gracious. Don't be so harsh. So judgmental. I'm not saying, look, it's all good because it isn't all good. Please, don't hear me. It's not all good. There's a lot of things out there that's just not all good and the church shouldn't accept it all because we're just loving, kind people. I'm not saying that either. I'm saying let's be gracious and let's be sure that we're including ourselves in that sin. Okay, God, they did this, but I've done that. Okay, Lord, they, they worship the, the golden calf and they're dancing around naked and having orgies around a golden calf and getting drunk and all kinds of unspeakable things. But I killed an Egyptian. I murdered someone. So God pardoned our iniquities. And when you do that, listen, 
When you are a gracious person, God will be gracious to you. If you are an unmerciful, judgmental person, God will be unmerciful and judge you. I don't know about you, but I want the grace of God upon my life. I'm willing to show grace. And don't push me too far. But I'm willing to go the extra mile with this thing called grace. Because I really don't believe that I can show too much grace. I don't. And I think that where, you know, you show too much grace, quote unquote, and and you get to the place of you're allowing something. I, think, I don't think God's ever unhappy if you're showing too much grace. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, okay, fine. I just don't. I don't. I don't think God's ever unhappy if you show too much grace. What is that? But I think we can make God unhappy if we don't show enough grace of kindness to people. And I think that's why Moses experienced the power and the presence of God, because he was quick to do what God told him to do. And secondly, he was humble, and he included himself in sin. Well, in the sin of the people. Look at verse 10. And he said in verse 10, Behold, I make, God said this, I make a new covenant before all your people, I will do marvel, marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. God says he's going to do something that he's not done before, nor has he done it in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it's an awesome thing that I will do with you, Israel. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. <laughs> Take heed to yourself in verse 12, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest there be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and play, I've never seen this before, and play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice... And you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. Stop right there. Listen, when God says, God says, I'm going to make a covenant, that means or that indicates that God is renewing the covenant and extending his grace. So God is saying, I'm going to do a work that will be greater than the signs that were manifest when you came out of Egypt. It's a new work, something he's never done before. And in just a short while, he's going to do that because he's going to part the Jordan and the sun is going to stand still for 24 hours. God's going to do a new work. But I also think this new work is referring to the end of the age, that God is going to continue to do awesome things with the nation of Israel to the end of the age. And so God says, I will make a covenant and I will be gracious and I will do awesome things in your midst and all the nations around will see it. But God says, watch this, 
Take heed lest you make a covenant. God said, I make a covenant with you. Now you take heed lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Because basically God says they're going to trap you. Look at verse 16 again. Again, I've never seen this before. But God says, don't make a covenant with the world because you'll start to play around with their gods. They will invite you over to eat their sacrifice and then they will want to marry. In other words, listen, did you realize this? God cares who your kids marry. That's interesting to me. God doesn't want you or your children to marry an unbeliever. And why, listen, why don't we get this in the church? Single folks, listen, what's the problem? Why, why are you not getting this? The, the church, I'm not talking about just the, not you guys, just you guys. I'm talking about the church universe. We're not getting it. God is not into mixture. God does not want you to mix marry. Now, he's not talking about black people and white people. Somebody say amen. amen. God doesn't care if you marry somebody black. Marry them. God didn't care if you marry somebody white. God is not, because that is it. Well, God didn't care about that kind of stuff. We care about that kind of stuff. People on earth care about that kind of stuff. Oh, my God. Oh, here comes a mixed couple. <laughs> what do we do now? What do, you mean, what do you do now? Do what you do. It's the truth. It's the truth. We get all upset. God is not into mixture. Listen, when the Bible talks about God doesn't want you to be mixed, what he's saying is that he doesn't want a believer to marry a non-believer. God is never into mixture in the scriptures. Over and over in the Bible, it warns us against mixture. Remember he told the priest, don't wear wool and linen together. It's either wool or linen. God told Israel, don't have an ox and a donkey plowing. It's either an ox or a donkey. And don't sow different kinds of seed in the same field. God hates mixture. God hates mixing believers and non-believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I think you should know well by now. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship are you listening has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Satan, and what part has a believer with an unbeliever? You fast forward to verse 17. It says, come from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and don't touch the unclean thing. God doesn't like mixture because, watch this, mixture makes you powerless. That's why he doesn't like mixture. That's why believers should never... Listen, if you're single, don't even date believer Christian. Listen, believer Christian, don't even date him if he's not a Christian. I'm not telling you if he goes to church. You know, I don't care if you go to church. So what? You go to church. So what? That don't make you a Christian. Standing in McDonald's don't make you a hamburger. right or wrong oh well he's just so cute and he goes to church so 
Well, she's just beautiful. She goes to church. So? You better look for some fruit. I'm trying to see what kind of fruit coming off that tree. I No. You're like, oh, I'm a lemon tree. I'm a lemon tree. And all you see is apples popping out. That would mean they are lying. Rotten apples at that. I mean it. You are asking for trouble. And married person, if you're married to an unbeliever, that just means that God is trying to increase your prayer life. Somebody say amen. Amen. You just need to just pray. You need to become camel knees. You just on them knees so much you're getting calluses. Amen. You don't marry a non-believer. Notice God says, destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their sexual practice places. God says, you shall not worship their gods. Remember the first commandment? You shall have no other gods, what? Before me. Now remember before, it doesn't mean in the sense of precedence, but you shall not have no other gods in the sense of presence. God's not saying well, you can have all the other gods you want after me. When he says you shall have no other gods before me. You can't have any other gods, period. That means God is saying, I don't want any other gods in my face, in my presence. No other gods before me. Well, then notice in verse 18, we are not going to read verses 18 through 28. And the reason being is that we have gone over this and we've talked about much of this. It's talking about the various feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the offering of the first fruits of the firstborn. Verse 21, we'll just kind of peruse it. Look at verse 21. You shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Didn't we talk about that? And then in verse 23, three times a year, all men were to appear before God in Jerusalem. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine? 150 million men marching on Washington, D.C. All men, three times a year, were to appear before God in Jerusalem. And then in verse 26, look at that. You shall not boil the calf in its mother's milk. And we talked about that. Remember, we talked about it's not a dietary issue. That is a pagan practice that God forbids. And then in verse 27, God tells Moses to write the things down. Go ahead and look at verse 27. Write the things down. And Moses was with the Lord for 40 days. In verse 28, getting the Ten Commandments, which is the second time. Now in verse 29 through 35. Now it was so in verse 29, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai... And the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face was shining and they were afraid to come near him. I guess so. Well, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil 
off until he came out. And he would come out and he would speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses was shining, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now, before you close your Bibles, listen. When Moses came down from getting the second table of stone, the Bible says his face was shining. It's almost like his batteries were charged. He was in the presence of the Lord. He was consumed and enveloped in the presence of God. And his face began to shine. He was glowing. And when the people saw it, they were freaked out. Now listen, this is completely, totally understandable. And here's why. Because remember, the people, they had never saw a GE 100 watt before. I mean, they had never saw, I mean, they saw, they seen the moon. They seen the stars. They seen the sun. They've seen fire, but they've never seen a man's head glowing. Don't y'all say a word. Y'all probably like it. I, I, I actually did see a picture of me with the light on, and I thought, well, I, there is a man's head glowing, but. And they really haven't, and I mean, neither have we, really. And you got to wonder, I mean, think about it. I mean, he's glowing. And when the people see him, you kind of, you got to wonder what that conversation was like. I mean, they're probably looking at Moses, and Moses is looking at them, and they're probably like, wow, I mean, whoa, dude, like, <laughs> you know, you're speechless. It's like, what in the world, you know? And Moses is like, what's wrong? Why are you looking at me this way? Why you got that look on your face? And Moses, listen, tried to hide the glow. Now, there are some scholars who say that Moses tried to hide the glow because Moses didn't want the people to focus on the glow. So Moses, being the humble man that he is, he was hiding the glow so the people wouldn't be drawn to the glow and, you know, get distracted in that way. Listen, the Bible is real clear on why Moses hid the glow. Second Corinthians, turn there real quick and I'll wrap up right here. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Now look at this, 2 Corinthians 3, let's, uh, all right, now you probably need to go ahead and read back up to verse 7, but in the interest of time, let's just fast forward to verse 13, and we see why Moses hid the glow. Unlike verse 13, you're looking at it, say amen. amen. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. Moses, listen, he wasn't wearing the veil so he could hide the glow so the people wouldn't see the glow and go, oh my gosh, you must be a holy man of God. Look at that glow. It wasn't like that. Moses 
covered his face and put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't see the glow as it dissipated. This is what verse 13 tells us. So that Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. Moses didn't want the people to see that the glow was passing away. So he put a veil. Now, there's a whole sermon in there, y'all. How often do we put a veil so that people don't know, well, we're not as spiritual as we think we are. We're not as spiritual as we try to purport. So we have this spiritual facade, a veil, so that people will think something other than what is truly on the inside. I'd love to preach about it, but I can't because I'm out of time. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293 That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.